Hello and welcome to the Mind Springs podcast with me, Alastair Appleton. I hope you enjoy what you hear, and if you'd like to find out more about us, then visit mind-springs.org. <clears throat> so what I'd like to do in this, this <coughs> talk is talk a little bit about the idea of the body as a battlefield and how that's come about. Because many of the things that we feel about our body are not necessarily intrinsic to being a human. I'm not sure everybody always felt that way through history. A lot of them are cultural, a lot of them are spiritual, religious. Some of them are to do with um, our particular karmic patterns. But um, I think it's really uh, good to recognize that these things have been going on all the way through history, but right now they're at a particular fever pitch, which I'd like to describe. So, spinning back the clock, we can't really talk with any authority about prehistory and what people felt about their bodies 100,000 years ago. <coughs> but there's interesting um, theory and, and writing and thinking around the shift that happened around 100,000 years ago from pastoralist, hunter-gatherer societies into agricultural societies. So, if you think... You know, we can extrapolate that when we were hunter-gatherers, some people still are, but when the great majority of life on earth, uh, human life on Earth were hunter-gatherers, we, we moved around, we used our bodies a lot, our bodies were our way of hunting, um, if we got ill, then you know, that had a real impact on our survival. So you can imagine that as we moved around, we followed the seasons, we followed the, the world and the hunter, hunting patterns of migration of animals, that our, we were pretty much in our bodies. You know, we were closer to the animals that we hunted than we are now. And around 100,000 years ago, there was the agricultural revolution, whereby people stopped moving and they started to congregate, and they started to control um, the animals that they previously had followed, by corralling them, by um, having farms, keeping them in one place. But that necessarily entails a, um, a control. So when we, when we do agriculture, we have to think. We have to think ahead. We have to plan. We, we no longer are following our bodily or indeed the, the body of the earth, the, the, the patterns of the earth, but we are imposing something on top. And there's a lovely image that my teacher, Reggie Ray, um, spoke about, which is that the, the, the myth of the fall, when Adam and Eve are expelled from the Garden of Eden, is in fact a, a myth about moving from being a hunter-gatherer, where everything, the earth, is there in its plenitude for us to gather, into... Uh, a world where, by the sweat of our brow, we ha have to make things work for us. So this is the myth, myth of Cain and Abel. Do you remember um, Abel was a pastoralist, he was a shepherd, and Cain was an agri agriculturalist, he, was, he grew corn. And Cain, in the Bible, kills Abel and is marked with the, the sign of Cain for, for all eternity. And the sign of Cain really is the sign of agricultural uh, living. 
where we, we, we took a step away from our bodies and we started to plan and corral and fret about things not going to plan. So there's a kind of schism out of our bodies into something more intellectual. And I'm sure a lot of you know the difference. Uh, people like Ian McGilchrist talk about the left and the right hemispheres, which is a sort of largely metaphorical, not largely, but in some sense metaphorical is not exactly um, biological, but largely speaking, the, the left hemisphere is more to do with that agricultural planning and predicting and, you know, where am I going to put my animals and when am I going to put them there? And the, the, left, the right hemisphere is more feeling the totality of the earth, feeling the connection, being more kind of global in one's outlook. So you could say that that was also a shift. The, the, the right brain was more our hunter-gatherer brain and our left brain is more our agriculturalist brain. Um, but nonetheless, that, that seemed to be the beginning of our shift away from the body as a, a source of authority into uh, something where the mind, the conceptual mind, the intellectual mind, became more and more important. And within that, then, of course, we start to have the city-states of Greece, where there is a clear split. Plato talks about it, where he talks about the charioteer of the, of the intellect riding the wild horses of the body and the emotions, the black and white horses, and that it's the intellect that has to then control these unruly, dangerous horses in order to go somewhere. Uh, and then there's also, you probably know, the, the split between Apollo and Dionysus. So Apollo is the intellect, it's clear and bright and pristine, and Dionysus is the body and sex and chaos and um, unruliness. And the Greeks were probably wise enough to recognize that you have to honor both of those. Very bad things happen if you, if you disdain any one of those, you know, if you... If you uh, um, dismiss Apollo, then you'll probably get turned into a laurel bush or something. And if you dismiss Dionysus, then you'll end up killing your mother <laughs> in some awful, bloody, tragic mess. Um, but from out of Greece, then you get to <coughs> um, uh, a movement called Orpheism, based on Orpheus. Um, and this Orphic cult started to hone this idea that the body was the tomb of the soul, that the body was a bad thing, and that it was the imprisoning thing that stopped the pure essence of the soul um, really uh, flourishing. And this transcendent model, this idea of transcending the icky, sticky mess of the body, goes forward through Orphic uh, cults uh, into Gnostic cults and from there into Christianity. And of course, for hundreds of years, Christianity became the ruling um, mindset, certainly in Europe. Um, and St. Paul famously said that the body was sin's instrument. St. Francis of Assisi called his body brother ass. So there's a great disparagement of the body in the, in the Christian religion. Not in the Judaic religion, interestingly. Um, Judaism has a much more sympathetic um, relationship with the body. But certainly in the pre prevailing uh, Western, by Western I probably mean um, European, 
European mentality, that, that Christian demonization, literally demonization of the body as something demonic, as the realm of witches and the devil, the temptation uh, of the body, and particularly the castigation and often uh, brutalization of female bodies, Eve's body, uh, the body that caused us to uh, find sin in the first place, became the sort of prevalent model. So the body becomes demonized. And even with the arrival of the Enlightenment, Voltaire and Rousseau and people like that, who uh, wanted to shuck off a lot of the uh, superstition of religion, there is nonetheless a, a huge um, premium on the intellect, uh, and actually less so in Rousseau, but uh, uh, um, to, at the expense of the body. Famously, we have uh, René Descartes, who said, I think, therefore I am. So the very essence of being is, is um, linked to the ability to think, not... Now, I have a body, that's why I think. There's, there's the sense that the body is erased from the picture and we live in this purely intellectual um, frame of reference. And then, you know, you can also see that later on that those things start to swing. There's a swing back to the body. Friedrich Nietzsche, for example, says, I am the body in totality, nothing else. And then you have people like Freud, Sigmund Freud, obviously a starting to return to the, the body as a sexual um, field. And then in the 60s, in the 1960s, you have a, a particularly bountiful explosion of interest in the body, people like Wilhelm Reich and the whole hippie movement coming back into an embodied sense that is sadly then completely curtailed in the 1980s, I'm speaking again largely of America and Europe, by the... Um, by the advent of AIDS, really, of, of, of these uh, urban diseases that make people afraid of their bodies again. And also parallel to that, or perhaps because of that, a kind of hyper, a drive towards hyper-perfection in the body. So you, I don't know if you remember back in the 80s, all those Herb Ritz pictures of these amazing statuesque women, flawless women, and um, I forget the guy that did all the, the men, the Abercrombie and Fitch men that everybody's like, they all, they're white, they're perfect, they're flawless, they have no body hair, they're, you know, they're, they're just this sort of Apollonian idea of the body. So we sort of swung back into this, I think, quite dangerous uh, area where there was a moment where the body was reasserting itself, and now it's sort of been derailed into hyper-capitalism, hyper-consumerism, uh, by an idea that the body is the image of the body that we have to aspire to is so impossibly perfect, but it's drip-fed to us day in, day out by social media, by advertising, by the media itself, by television. It's one of the industri industries that I work in, so I apologize for that. But um, this sense of the body being this absolutely perfect thing that none of us have. So it's in our face all the time, the physicality of the body, but in a strange way, it's completely abstract. It's abstract from our own experience. Thank you for listening, and please do join us again.